Hey, and thanks so much for taking a moment to visit our podcast. Our mission at Antioch FBC is to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus and go to our neighbors in the nations. We want you to be encouraged by this podcast and hope even more that you would come be a part of what God is doing in the community of Antioch. To find out more, visit us at www.antiochfirstbaptist.org. And now, stay tuned for a message from Pastor Matt. got it. This is the word of the Lord. That's what I was waiting on, John. Hey, you had double duty. You're all right. You got it covered. Today's passage is one that, as a pastor, you might just want to quietly turn the page and go on to the next one. But as our practice here at Antioch, we don't do that. We teach through entire books of the Bible at a time, which means we deal with every passage, whether it's difficult, whether it's easy, whether it presses on our flesh, no matter what, we don't skip over it. And so this morning we see that the Pharisees are jumping back into the picture. 
right? They're challenging Jesus about his disciples not washing their hands in hopes to trip him up and trip them up and catch them in sin. You would think they'd learn their lesson by now, right? You, you would think that this is a fruitless journey to try to trap Jesus and the disciples. But nevertheless, they give it another shot. And we're going to see that Jesus shows them the dangers of following tradition over Scripture. And this morning, we will receive that warning for us as well. Before we get into the text, as we have made our practice over the last several months, we take just a moment of silence to prepare our hearts, to ask the Spirit to give us ears to hear. And if you're not accustomed to moments of silence or doing that during your, your daily walk with Jesus or just doing that at all, it can be a daunting task because so many thoughts and so many ideas begin to just sort of permeate. So many things you've been thinking about through the week can just continue to bombard you. But as we do this, as we take this moment, what I would ask is that if that happens, that's okay. Simply in that moment, just say, Spirit, quiet my heart, quiet my mind, and give me the ears to hear. So let's do just that. Amen. So again, we've been walking through this story, this book of Matthew, and we see that right today where we see Jesus and the disciples, they've just anchored to the shore. And if you remember last week, we had the whole miracle of Jesus walking on water. And so they were out on the boat. They were at risk of their lives because of the wind and the waves. Jesus appeared to them, walked on the water with them, was with them in the boat, and now they've anchored in. And the Pharisees are waiting, <laughs> waiting to jump at the chance to try to get Jesus tripped up again. Look at verse 35 and 36. And when the men of that place recognized him, they alerted the whole vicinity and they brought to him all who were sick and they begged him that they might only touch the end of his robe and as many as touched it were healed. Before the Pharisees could even get to him, here's another crowd of people coming around Jesus. And we talked about how Jesus is probably the most interrupted guy that we see in all of Scripture. But this is why the Pharisees are upset with him. People are starting to notice. People are starting to recognize who Jesus is. And if you look, what did they want to do? They just wanted to touch the end of his robe, right? Doesn't that sound familiar? We covered that several weeks back when he healed the woman with the issue of blood who the same faith said, I'm going to just crawl into Jesus. If I can just touch his robe, then I'll be made whole. That story has gotten around. People have heard, you don't even have to get him to lay, your hands, lay his hands on you. You don't even have to get him to pray over you. If you can just get to him close enough to touch the end of his robe, you will be healed. 
And the Pharisees are furious that this is happening. They are furious that the story and the message that Jesus is proclaiming is getting to the people. This popularity, this notoriety is exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees were afraid of. They didn't want Jesus to take the spotlight off of them. And they surely didn't want people running to Jesus instead of running to them. They wanted to keep this grip of power. They wanted to keep this grip of information. They wanted to see that they were in charge, not Jesus. They didn't want to seem useless. They wanted to be the center. And again, even though they failed in their prior attempts to try to trip Jesus up, here they come, and they bring this accusation about the disciples not washing their hands and following the tradition of the elders. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 15. Then Jesus was approached by the Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem. And they asked, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. Notice how Matthew describes the Pharisees and the scribes. What does he say? They are from where? Jerusalem. These are the big dogs. These are the elite of the Pharisees and the leaders. They were the leaders of the leaders, and it is their aim to try to take Jesus out. For what? Healing the sick? Giving comfort to those in grief? Raising people from the dead? Feeding thousands of of hungry people, what possibly could they find wrong with a man who is doing so much good? They're coming after Jesus because he was a threat to their legalistic system that they set up to benefit themselves. They knew what Jesus was teaching. They knew what he was proclaiming. And so they were coming after him because he was teaching against their tradition. They didn't let the fact that Jesus is fulfilling all the prophecies. Uh, they weren't able to see the good that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, that he was the one Isaiah and all the prophets had foretold would come. Why? Why couldn't they see this? Because they were too upset that Jesus was unraveling their traditions. The Word became flesh among them, as John says. But they were choosing tradition to be superior over Scripture. MacArthur said it this way. He said, the leaders of the religious establishment realized that Jesus posed a severe threat to their legalistic system. Their religion was intentionally external and superficial. Why? Because it could be outwardly practiced with great zeal and diligence, no matter what the condition of the heart or the soul. He said it was a religion of ceremony and tradition that the most hardened unbeliever could follow. It was concerned with covering up sin, not exposing it, not cleansing it. 
with appearing righteous, but not being righteous. Now, the Pharisees always get a bad rap, right? Anytime you look at the word Pharisee, you immediately go, oh, those dogs, those scallywags. <laughs> but I think, now, they deserve pretty much all of that. But here's what I want us to see. I do think that the Pharisees had good intentions in the beginning. I do think that when they started in the beginning creating these traditions, the original and intent, and they would say this, was to protect the people from breaking the laws of God. That's a good intention. But it got out of hand. And it became self-serving for them. And the word of God, the instructions, the law, literally became undiscoverable behind the towers of tradition. It began to do more damage to the law than to protect it. So before we go any further, I want to say, not all tradition is bad. Not all tradition is bad. As long as we can base its practice with Scripture. Now, there are many traditions that we practice in the church that do have sound basis from Scripture. But there are plenty that we should revisit. There are plenty that we should let go of because they're more about serving our flesh than they are about honoring God. The tradition of the elders is not just this group of old men in the church who made up some rules, okay? These traditions have been passed down all the way from the time of Moses. Some of these elders were actually said to have been along with Moses when he was up on the mountain seeing the image of God. Yet even still, these additions became man-made. And the Pharisees and the scribes had wrongly put more focus on them, those man-made traditions and laws, than they actually did on the Scripture. And this is why Jesus responds the way he does. Look at verse 3 through 6. He answered them. Again, they just asked him, why are your disciples breaking the tradition of not washing their hands? And Jesus' answer is this. Why do you break God's commandment? Because of your tradition. For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, Whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me as a gift is committed to the temple. He does not have to honor his father. In this way, you have nullified the word of God because of your tradition. Jesus answers their question with a direct example of how the Pharisees are using their man-made laws to break God's law. The Pharisees tried pointing out the lack of hand-washing, and Jesus says, but you're not even honoring your parents. And I commanded you to honor your parents. So here's what's happening. The Pharisees are using these laws 
It's actually, if you look in the book of Mark, and when he tells this story, he uses the actual word that they were using, a coban. But what they're doing is they're using these laws not to give help to their parents. And so instead, they're keeping the money that their parents could possibly use or are in need of, and they're saying, no, I've already said I'm going to give that to the temple. Which sounds noble, right? How are you going to argue with that? No, I can't. I'm going to give that money to the church. Man, that sounds like, oh, gosh. But what were they doing? They're the leaders. They're the Pharisees and the scribes. So the money that they were giving for the temple was really just staying with them. Right? But instead, their aging parents are asking for help, needing resources. And they're saying, no, we're going to be holier than thou. We're going to keep our money at the temple. And we're not going to care for our parents in need. Sorry, I've already set that side, that money aside. So what is Jesus saying? In calling them out, he is saying to them, your parents are potentially starving and in desperate need, yet you want to appeal to the tradition that you created in order not to help them. And you want to talk to the disciples about not washing their hands? If that wasn't enough, Jesus kept going. And look what he says in verse 7. We'll just read that first word. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Now, we all know what the definition of a hypocrite is, right? And before we make it too far, let's just go ahead and admit, we have all been hypocrites. All right? Let's just, let's make it clear. Before we start looking at the Pharisees and going, man, you guys. No, we have all been guilty of being one at one time or another. But how differently would this story have gone if the Pharisees would have heard this rebuke from Jesus and then repented? How different would the story have gone if they would have heard Jesus' rebuke and on the spot go, oh gosh, we need to ask forgiveness for this. We've missed it. And just like we experienced in our time of confession of sin, Jesus would not have shaken his, shaken his finger at them and go, yeah, you're right. You low-down dogs. He would have welcomed them with grace if they had truly repented. That's not what happened, is it? Instead, their hearts were hardened even more. And they continue this pursuit of trying to get rid of Jesus Again, MacArthur helped me out with this one. He summed it up well, and he said this. He said, Satan has no greater allies than hypocrites who go under the guise of God's people. And hypocrites have no greater ally than tradition. Because, again, as we said, tradition can be followed mechanically and thoughtlessly, without conviction, without sincerity, without purity of heart. Why? Because traditions are man-made. They can be accomplished by men. They don't require any faith, no trust, no dependence on God. And here's the kicker. Not only that, they appeal to the flesh 
by feeding in pride and self-righteousness. And often, as we see here, self-interest. And so now Jesus does what he always does when he's dealing with the Pharisees. He brings up something that they would be very familiar with. And he starts quoting the prophet Isaiah. Look at the rest of verse 7. He said, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. What a sobering passage of Scripture. It is so easy for us to fall into the trap of focusing more on tradition than actual Scripture. I mean, even in our worship services on Sundays, right? It can be so easy for us to just get into the routine. We know what's coming. We're going to do a welcome, we're going to do a call to worship. We're going to sing some songs. We do confession of sin. Like, we can get in the order of like, okay, I know what's coming next. I know what's coming next. But this is why we insert elements of silence into our service. Because if you're just mouthing the words, if you're just keeping the recitation, if we're just keeping moving and keeping doing, it's easy to not have to deal with our hearts, right? Because we're doing the thing. That's why we stop. That's not why we don't just like rush on to the next thing. That's why we have, again, times of silence. Because you guys know, I know, when I get silent, that's when I have to start dealing with me. There's nobody else around. It's just me and the Lord. What it does, it reminds us that we are not here for us this morning. We're not here for us. Worshiping on Sunday is not about what we want. It's not about a certain style. It's not about a certain preference. We call it a worship service. But I think we've forgotten. We're not here to worship ourselves. We are here to worship Almighty God. And His power and His presence supersedes any style. And his power and his presence supersedes any of our preferences. We come and we lay ourselves before the throne of God. And as we have already proclaimed, we witness a miraculous exchange. An exchange of his life given to us to cover our sinful life. And the perfect and holy and righteous God, as we have said, welcomes us in. And he loves us enough 
not to leave us as we are. We come to worship to lay our lives on the altar, saying, Jesus, you are the perfect one, not me. So today, I'm surrendering everything to you, which includes my desires, my preferences, my style choices. And I ask you to take this life and make it more and more like you. We shouldn't walk out of here on Sunday and go, man, that was a beautiful service. We should walk out of here and say, man, we have a beautiful Jesus. And that's different. Frederick Bruner, one of the theologians, again, I study here, particularly in this Matthew series, here's what he said. And it's just a summary of what we've already read. He said, worship is useless. As Isaiah and Jesus have already reminded us, when the worshiping community derives its teaching from its own best opinions rather than from the word of God. It's not about us. But so often we've made it all about us by holding fast to our traditions instead of holding fast to our faith. We've made it so much about us, even we've learned, as we said, what we need to do to feel good about ourselves. Feel good about coming to Sunday. Think we're fooling ourselves and everyone around us because we're here. We're doing all the things. We're saying all the right things. We're nodding and amitting at the same time. At the right time. We, we, we know how to put it on, right? And this is why Jesus indirectly addresses this in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 10 and 11. He brings the crowd in. And he says, and he summons them, and he says, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth this is what defiles a person. Notice how he begins his declaration. What does he say? Two words. Listen and understand. If you're reading in the King James Version, sometimes you'll read through and you'll hear Jesus say, Verily, verily, I say to you. He's simply saying, listen up. <laughs> Pay attention. Listen and understand. Because he's saying this is more important than what the Pharisees are trying to say. The Pharisees are trying to say that if disciples don't wash the hands, then they, their food that they eat with those hands will defile them. And Jesus clearly contradicts that idea. Now as we know... The Jewish tradition was to follow the kosher eating laws, right? So they would stay away from shellfish. No bottom dwellers. Fish had to have scales. All the, no poor. All these things they would follow. Jesus, in this statement, turns all of that on its head. You may ask, like, why don't we still follow the Levitical laws and avoid all of those things? It's because of what Jesus just said right here. 
He said, you're so worried about what goes in. Instead, you need to focus on what's coming out. Even if you follow those dietary and those hand-washing laws to a T, yet you're slanderous. You're unkind. You haven't accomplished anything. He goes on. Look at verse 12. Then the disciples came up and told him, Do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? (laughs) Jesus, just do you understand how offended you you just offended those guys? I'll be honest. Sometimes it's hard for me not to let that idea permeate my prep and my sermons. Each week I get to stand before you. And there are times, particularly like the last two weeks, we talked about feeding the 5,000. We talked about Jesus walking on water. Man, I can get up here and be like, dude, we can get excited about this today. And then there are weeks like today. And I promise you, here's what happens. This is just letting you in. Satan easily tries to convince me, don't preach the truth. Don't preach the truth that's in the text for today. Maybe you should try to soften it. Maybe you should try to soften the blow. There have been times, literally in my prep, where out loud I've said, Lord, I can't say that. I can't. I can't preach that. If I preach that, I will surely offend your people. But it's in those moments that I have to make a decision. Do I faithfully preach the text or do I bow down to the fear of man? Am I afraid and do I let my fear overwhelm me that someone might get offended? Or do I teach the passage that's before us? Or maybe do I just explain it away to keep everybody happy? And if I ever get to a place where I choose bowing down to the fear of man over the truth of Scripture, I'm in sin. And I'm not serving you well. Because as we see, Jesus explains what happens to those who lets their offense get to them. He he shows us here in just a few verses what people who want to hold on to the tradition rather than receive the word of correction and what happens. And he says, hypocrites are always offended by the truth. Look what he says, 13 and 14. He replied, every plant that my heavenly father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind guide the blind, both will fall into the pit. 
Jesus explains the truth and he says, just leave him alone. You're responsible to present the truth and let it be. Because either they're going to repent and follow the truth or they will blindly follow one another and all end up in the pit. Jesus is saying here, you can't change people's hearts. Only the Spirit can. So present the truth and leave the rest up to the Spirit. And they will have either had their eyes opened or their hearts will be hardened even more. They will either believe the truth and repent or will blindly follow the blind to save the tradition. If we read on down through verse 20, well, let's pick up in, in verse 15. Then Peter said, explain this parable to us. And I love Jesus' response. Do you still lack understanding, he asked? Don't you realize that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For from the heart comes evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and sexual immoralities and thefts and false testimonies and slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, that does not defile a person. You know what I believe happening here with Peter? We've talked about Peter. We talked about it last week, about he got out of the boat and wanted to stand on the water with Jesus. I think what we're seeing here is that Peter is realizing, oh man, the truth of the gospel will be offensive. And I think in his people-loving, people-pleasing way, he's trying to see and ask Jesus, there's got to be a way around this. There's got to be a way around us. I think he's wanting to try to figure out how can we keep peace with Jesus and with the people and the Pharisees? I think that's why we see him asking that question of Jesus. Explain it to me one more time. I think this is one of Peter's most defining moments because he's either going to. He's either going to follow Jesus or he's going to let the offenses of men direct him. we got to remember something. These are church people. These are church people he's talking to. Now we know that the gospel is offensive to non-believers, but what Peter is realizing here is that Jesus is calling people in the church hypocrites. Jesus is challenging the leaders of the church not just the outside world. And what we find in this explanation is our way to those who are in the church to see who are the true followers of Jesus and who within the church just want to be followers of tradition. What does Jesus tell Peter to do? 
listen. If you'll just listen. Listen to what's coming out of their mouth. Listen to what they're saying because you will know based on what they are saying, based on what is coming out of their mouth, you'll know because out of the abundance of the heart, what speaks? The mouth. Jesus again is reminding Peter they can act the part all day long. They can stand tall. They can look proper. They can seem holier than thou. They can follow and uphold and defend all the traditions of the church. But what is actually going on inside of their heart? That's what truly matters. Church, we don't need to make sure that the outside is clean with the washing of our hands. We need to be begging God every week. Cleanse the inside of me. Cleanse my heart. Are you holding on to tradition? Do you have tradition in the death grip? And are willing to fight to see that tradition upheld? Or are we willing to cling to Scripture and let Scripture be what leads us and guides us? And there are countless traditions in the church, like I said, that are good. Because they are based in Scripture. But there are many. When we say, well, why do we follow that tradition? And the answer typically is, well, it's just the way we've always done it. And so what we have to do is we have to take all of those traditions and we have to line them up with Scripture and go, does this line up with what God has instructed us to do? And if it does, we're going to hold tightly to it. Because we're not, hold tighting, we're not holding tightly to the tradition. We're holding tightly to the word of God. But if we look at other traditions and we see, I don't see where that is anywhere instructed to us in Scripture. Then we have to go back to say, well, Jesus, what are we going to do? Are we going to bow to the fear of man because of the disruption it might cause to question or, or wonder, should we continue on with that tradition? Or are we going to follow the scripture? Instead of clinging to tradition, let's be a church that clings to the scriptures. Instead of spending our time arguing about upholding tradition, may we be a church that examines whether or not our hearts have been changed. Many times we're still holding on the fight for tradition and our hearts are so hardened because we want to uphold the man-made laws and leave our hearts alone. 
Tradition makes us feel good, even when our hearts are defiled. But when our hearts have been transformed, we will cling to the scriptures. We will cling to Jesus, not our methods and our rituals. JJ, come on up. So this morning, you may be clinging to traditions for your salvation. Maybe you performed an act and and you did walk an aisle and you're clinging to something that you did so long ago that says, yeah, I know I'm saved. I did that. But deep inside, you know your heart has not been transformed. It's still defiled. So this morning... Would you cling to scripture instead of tradition? And so right now, if you're wrestling with that, if, if when I said that, the Holy Spirit within inside of you went off and lit you up, I think you can know you might be trusting in an act that you performed. And if you're feeling convicted, would you let go of your grip on tradition and repent? And believe that Jesus died for you. For those who have professed faith in Jesus, it's a simple question. It's a simple ask. May we take a hard look at what we're clinging to. Because if we are clinching tradition and at the same time spewing false testimony or slander or stealing or caught up in adultery or sexual immorality, then something's off. Something is not right. We need to repent. If we become a people who are willing to cling to tradition, even when it means denying Scripture, we're hurting people like we have seen the Pharisees do, and we need our hearts transformed. So this morning, would you ask the Spirit to show you what traditions you are clinging to, and would you repent and cling to Scripture instead? Let's take a moment.